There's the music, and we are back underway. Cool Button Hockey Podcast, episode 104. Craig finally made it to Eastern Canada. Kudos to Dave Reed doing double duty. If it was another one of uh, your colleagues, they might have uh, sent a double invoice. But not Dave Reed. He's a good team player, Craig, as you're in Moncton right now. And so many storylines. Listen, I love Shane O'Brien. He's a great guy. I love uh, some of the other maybe old school thinkers. But Craig, you're telling me because two lacrosse, Michigan, Mike Lego, my ego place didn't work. That's why Canada lost. Come on, Craig. Isn't that the Swedes aren't tough enough and they're taking our jobs mentality. What do you think about Canada's opening stinker? And was it really that much of a stinker? I will say this, and, and and let's start right where you began, right with the two attempts, first by Connor Bedard and second by Adam Fantilli. So these are brilliant offensive players. Do you think I'm going to start telling those brilliant offensive players what they should be doing? Do you really think I'm going to be doing? They're trying to score, Steve. They're trying to score. How many times in a shootout do we see a guy miss? Oh, I shouldn't have gone to his backhand. Ah, you know what? He didn't make a good enough move. He didn't get it. Yeah, we, we can all judge after the fact. We can all say what should have happened or what was a better option. You know what's amazing? And having watched Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli for a long, long time, you know what? They're immediately assessing what they could have done better when they don't score. So they need to hear it from all these other people, coach included, the coach included, who said, well, you know what? Maybe there's a better option. Listen, the next time I go and start telling brilliant offensive players what they should be doing, it'll be the first time. First of all, they know better. They're in the heat of the action, and they're trying to score. There's nothing wrong with them trying to score in whatever manner they want to do it. Is it going to work every time? No. Keep this in mind. They're trying to score. The object of the game is to score. And that's what they were trying to do. Now to, your, now to the big question. Canada was awful in the game against Czechia. Ben Goodrow, he's a good goaltender. He wasn't good that day. The power play for Canada wasn't good. The penalty killing wasn't good. Their hunger and drive in and around the net wasn't good. Their complacency was evident. There was no urgency into their game. So if you, if anybody thinks that Canada lost that game because of one thing or two things, it was a complete, complete miss by team Canada in game one, a complete miss. I can only think of one player, honestly, where I go, yeah, he was brilliant. And that was Connor Bedard. I thought Connor Bedard was unbelievable in that game, commanding the game. Other than that, wasn't a very good game. Dylan Gunther, Dylan Gunther, our preparation isn't very good and we're too loose. Dylan Gunther, the players always know and they always know first. No excuses from Dylan Gunther. No excuses. And anybody wants to try to pin it on the Michigan, then turn off your TVs and just scream at, at, at the clouds. Scream at the clouds. Scream wherever you want. Because that wasn't why Canada lost. Well, it's like the hockey fan or the dad on the two-on-one when, and I'll go way back because people think because of modern analytics that the Royal Road and the fake shot pass was invented, you know, five years ago. Gretzky comes down on his off wing. It's a two-on-one. Even though he's going to lead the league in goals for two decades, he fakes shot, sends it to Curry, who then scores. That's that's just one of uh, 601 Curry examples of fake shot pass. If Gretzky passes to Curry and it bounces over a stick, then what do people say? Should have shot. Should have shot. 
So because the Michigan didn't work and Scotty Hartnell apparently on NHL Network said there was a better option sliding the puck in front of the net, to which you go back and, okay, let's look at the video. There was no open stick there. That's just the after the fact thinking. You know, you shoot for the empty net and miss, should have shot it in the corner, should have passed to the guy in the other wing. You know, I think we're better than that. I, I consider that low-hanging fruit on, you know, you make the right play, not because you can make it, but because it's the right play. And if the right play is between your legs in front of the net, if the right play is a spinorama, if the right play is the Mike Lego, my ego, then you go ahead and do it. What scares me about what Dylan Gunther said about, you know, lack of preparation and defensive looseness. Wow, that's that's a little surprising. What stood out to me, and I circled, and if we were on television, Craig, it would have been the breakdown. And I've I had some I've had some beautiful radio only breakdowns lately. Only me and Bruce chuckle about them and think that's really good. I might actually have to do some of our stuff with the hockey basement net and kind of talk about where things are set up. Uh, like the least power play has no one timer. But what if, I don't understand what the, what they're doing. But we'll get into that later. To me, go look at the three one goal. Go look at the three one goal. Fantilli and Logan Stankoven are right there. Now, Fantilli might be man on man. Someone's got to go out to the right point or your defense right shooter left. They allow the defender to come right. I thought that stuff looked to me like it was the third game in four nights on an NHL schedule in January, not game one of a seven or six game tournament uh, to win a gold medal. So in that regard, I was I was surprised. And there were a few things. And just pinning it on, as you mentioned, Godreau, I think as we say Benjamin's name here, there's a lot of different French pronunciations. Uh, that's, that, that's too easy. So they'll win their next two games. And then the New Year's Eve game will say, like, you know, and maybe it's law of averages. And maybe it's the hockey gods going, I gave you the McTavish play. I'm going to... I'm going to get you back game one. I'm going to get you back game one of the next tournament. Uh, I think that the right result happened. Check you deserve to win. Uh, and they did. And remember, it's been a long time since they've been pretty good. They've been good last year. And I hope they're good again this year. Because you know what? Remember when Czechoslovakia and the Czech Republic were winning medals all the time at this event? I think the, the program is, is improving, Craig, as you know. But there was a time when they were you know, always in that medal conversation. So it's good to see them back. And for the tournament, Craig, overall, I think we've had an excellent, we've had, we have one team that probably shouldn't be here. That's great. That's great. In my opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm just going to finish off with Canada and in the 2020 world junior tournament, which was in Czechia in Ostrava, Canada lost six, nothing to Russia. Everybody thought the sky was falling. Sky was falling. Dale Hunter, just calm. Here's what we got to do. Here's what we got to fix. It was one game. That's the beautiful thing about tournament play. It's one game. It's not not till you get to the quarterfinal does it become win or go home. And everything got settled. Everything got working. I remember talking to Ty Smith. Ty Smith had played the year before. And we're standing in the lobby. And Canada, the USA, and Russia were all one and one after their first two games, because they'd all played each other. And I said to, uh, I said to Ty, I said, you know, you lose six, nothing yesterday. 
or two days ago. Now Russia loses to the USA. Now everybody's one on one. I said the sky, the, the sky was falling. Now look at it today. It's blue sky. Everything's out. The sun is shining. This is exactly what Ty said to me. He said, "You know what? That's tournament play. You know, you know what? You have a you have an off day. Another team plays really good. You just get ready to play the next game." And I just I remember sitting there thinking to myself, "That's experience speaking." Ty understood, right? And so. Dalen, now it's up to Dennis Williams and his coaching staff to understand what we got to do. One of the things that I think coaches have to really understand is, and they do so much work in preparation, game planning, right? Here's how we're going to play. Well, we got to play our to our structure. We got to play to our identity. Sometimes what you're confronted with means you got to throw out the game plan. <laughs> you got to just say, this ain't working. This is not working tonight. This is not, I got to do, and you got to make those quick adjustments. Don't, I'll tell every single, don't stay married to a game plan, despite the amount of time you put into implementing it. If it's not there to be, it's not ready to be working. Just get out of it. As for the tournament, you're very kind. Austria doesn't belong in this tournament. They not, shouldn't be, they, they don't belong here. They're, 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 they're a weak, weak team that this level of competition is far above their heads. That's the result of Russia you know, being, uh, you know, not able to come to the tournament. And so the rest of the tournament, though, Switzerland, Latvia, we saw, you know, the Swiss beat Finland, you know, it's competitive. And that's all you can ask for two days into a tournament. And you got this level of intrigue and competitiveness going on in the tournament. Fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. And the thing about Canadian fans and the world juniors and the ratings prove it. We'll watch Latvia, Switzerland. Right. I don't know where you are. 96 Boston. That was, I mean, that's in Boston. That's the Jerome McGinley one. I was, wow. That's a long time ago. And uh, I don't know if they'll ever go back there during the winter. Uh, North Dakota was different. It's always, I'm just talking about the U S connections have to be around the Canadian border. I heard Vegas wants it and maybe that'll work or not, but you know, it's a big building to have Latvia and Switzerland play uh, in front of, uh, you know, 2000 fans. So I love it in the junior rank. It's exciting to have it kind of back. My, if Russia was in and Austria was out, oh my good, we'd be talking about Ottawa 2009, which I think they sold out every single game, every single game. And the way that finished was, of course, magical. And uh, the Russians will say, I didn't like how it finished. Well, you shouldn't have missed the empty net. But anyway, I want to get into kind of the the play, Zach Dean, right? And the, the headshot. Ken Dryden thinks plays like that in the NHL should be penalized. That there should be zero head contact, like we saw with Ryan Reeves on Philip Heronic, like we saw Jacob Trouba on his last two big body checks. Are we ready for that now? Are we ready for what we saw in game one for Team Canada against Czechia to come to the NHL level? And if we're not ready now, will we be someday? I think the answer to the second question is yes. When that day is, is that day right now is it in the near future go back steve think back to those two big time checks the one on mark savard and the one on david booth right at that point in time those were considered legal checks in the national hockey league i know that colin campbell who was the uh disciplinarian at the time vice president you know the uh of hockey ops and in charge of that he 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 didn't feel comfortable with those hits. Colin Campbell does not get enough credit, nearly enough credit, for 
some of the really significant uh, progress that the NHL made with respect to those types of hits. He he was instrumental towards discussing it. And, and, and it wasn't just him with a small, he, he opened it up to so many people to get their views and then to start to shape that we need to look at this differently. And, and now we have, you know, contact to the head, right? So we would all like it to be as simple as contact to the head, automatic ejection. Full declaration here. I'm with Ken Dryden that I think all head contact should be penalized. Okay. I I do believe that, but all head contact, like what Zach Dean did in that play, I think it may have deserved a two minute roughing penalty at the most, at the most, my own view. I don't even think it deserved a roughing penalty. He came in, his hands came through the chest, and 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 now you're coming up, right? And like I, I like I don't think I don't define that as head contact. I I don't. Okay. So, what are we prepared to have? The whole the, the whole idea that I like with the, with the with the idea about specific head contact. And do I have a great definition for it? No. You're trying to slow down the game. Bob Clark said this many many years ago. He said, we used to have speed bumps in the game. They used to slow down the game. You, you used to be able to cut off a guy so the defensemen weren't vulnerable for good. Well, then we, we took that out. And now the game opened up and it was faster and it was harder. And so now we have to make adjustments, right? So well, I so I look at this at, at head contact now. And I'm talking about, I need to come up with a better definition of head contact as a speed bump. If you just slow down the players a little bit, well, then maybe you avoid more head contact. But you better be careful in terms of how you look at the, the what's considered head contact by Zach Dean. And I'm not even so sure it was head contact. I'm not even so sure. Like, I mean, I mean, you, you look at that play and, and there's rubbing out. You, you hit a player incidentally. Does that head contact? So, but do we move to a, to a point where we say, hey, listen, it's an automatic ejection. It's not two minutes for head contact. You know, I, I, I'm there. Now, the other thing I want to say is the NHL has worked really hard with the IHF to amalgamate the rule books. <laughs> there's, no ten, there's no more 10-minute misconduct for head contact in international hockey anymore. They've eliminated it this year because the NHL doesn't have it. <laughs> so Maybe all the, the people NHL out there, should. Maybe yeah, the well, NHL maybe should. should. Maybe they should. There, there's I a two and a, a ten deterrent. available. There's a two and a ten available in the NHL, and a two or a four or a five in a, in a game. They and look, I've talked to Stephen Walken about it on and off the air, and I I think every penalty you can get a five minute tripping penalty. Connor McDavid goes around the net or is going after a puck, and he's going to beat you to an icing, and you trip him, and you know you're tripping him, and you're and he crashes into the boards and leaves the game. Can be five minutes for tripping. Um, I do think in slowing down the Zach Dean play, his right shoulder did get the check defender in the head. In the NHL, you can have head contact and a full body check, which I think that was. So rule 48 would protect Zach Dean in the NHL, not in the IIHF. I'm with you, Craig, though. Maybe that is a two and a 10. Maybe, maybe, maybe the IHF in this case, old school had that right, you know, I don't know, but then we get into the World Cup soccer football stuff, and out comes the trainer. They sit on the bench. The trainer's there on the bench. 
with his eyeglasses, you know, the eyeglasses that you put together. He's got them open. He's displaying the player. The visor cut him, and then it's five in a game. If that's a gold medal game, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is That's what scares me about international hockey, about how that's called. In the NHL now, we're not ready for this, right, Craig? Like, we're not ready for this right now. A full-body contact where there is head contact in the NHL is not a penalty at all. Maybe we could argue in the Ryan Reeves situation, if you hit the head first, if you hit the head first, we can look at it. But then what if the player's leaning over like Kenya Remchuk used to skate? So then I can't check you. Or I got to get so low. Like, I'm 6'5". I'm going to... So now I'm going to hit your knee. And now you're... So... I don't have an answer for that either, Craig. I just know that Ken Dryden says a blanket statement. I'd like Ken to show all the clips that Damon Echeverrieta has and tell me, how are you going to avoid this? Or this game becomes even less physical, and then we change it, you know, organically. And I don't want pond hockey. I don't want Hudson Bay rules craziness. I don't want pond hockey either. Total pond hockey. 7-6, 8-6 all the time without any physicality because someone's scared I might accidentally hit you in the head. So I, I don't I don't have an answer for that, Mr. Button. Football football made an, an adjustment in that regard. Obviously, it came out of the lawsuits with the concussion lawsuits and whatnot. And you know, the, the NHL is in the middle of one. You know, the IIHF and the NHL, Danny Kerman, who works with the IAHF and uh NHL hockey, they're working to amalgamate those so that there's not a there used to be a greater difference and they're they've worked so hard. There's very few discrepancies now between the IAHF rulebook and the NHL rulebook, right? And maybe there's some things from the from the IAHF that you go, hey, maybe we should keep that. So I'm gonna ask you two questions. Number so I get focused in on the games faster, it's harder. How do we how do we get a speed bump into the game? Just slow it down. You know what? NASCAR's done it. Indy racing has done it. You know, you're you're only allowed to, you know, the way you design your car prevents it from going faster. Because if it goes faster, there's a risk for more accidents. And with risk more accidents, there's a risk for more injuries. Well, that's hockey. The faster it goes, the, the risk goes up, right? So how do we put a speed bump in? And like we eliminated them to Bob Clark's point. And, and I think we just have to examine that. So I'm going to ask you the question. So so I think that it's a work in progress. And I and Steve, it's 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when the marks when the hit on Mark Savard and the hit on David Booth occurred. It's it, it's it, so and like I said, I, Colin Campbell was instrumental in moving and in, in moving it forward. So I'm going to ask you the question when you when and I'm thinking of an example when you talk about Connor McDavid, Mark Giordano, when he tripped him and he blew up his knee. Is that a five-minute major? I don't think the trip is. I think the result was. And we we don't always judge the result. If we did, when Kuznetsov smacked whoever he smacked in the... We would say, you could have Trent McCleary his throat. You're getting 15 games. That'll wake people up. So people will never swing their stick again. Or throw an elbow or lift their Mason Shaw. He left the trolley tracks. He left the trolley tracks. He's lucky he only got two games. So I think, and I, it's just me, I think that in that situation, it's a tripping penalty. The end result, if McDavid doesn't hit the net and spins off in the corner, nobody's talking about five minutes or suspension. And McDavid, like Crosby, with Steckel, see it their own way. And they're not open to negotiation on what happened with David Steckel. And they're not open to negotiation on what happened to Matt Giordano. Mark Giordano, they just say, here's how I saw it. And I, ah, 
I don't want to hear it. And I'm okay with it. That's the competitor in them. But to me, it was a trip. Maybe it was intentional or violent, the end result. And I think Steckle had no idea Sid was there, but they don't want to hear it. You know what? And I understand because if it was me, I might think the same thing as well. Time now for KB on Ice and Inside. Look at the NHL brought to you by our friends at Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction's Canada Sportsbook 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Mr. Button, the puck is on your stick. I'm ready. I'm going to be really quick. December 27th, Flames played an excellent game against the Edmonton Orders on home ice. But the Orders were behind the Flames in the standings. You want to move on up, as you say? You got to go and win games against your division rivals, against your conference rivals. And sometimes you got to do it on the road. Well, the Oilers did that. Well, that's what the Flames have to go and do on December 28th in Seattle. They got to go into Seattle. You want to move on up? You want to get closer? Because if you don't win that game, you're moving further behind. You know, they lost to the LA Kings last week. They got a point. Point wasn't good enough. I'm not talking about a win in overtime or a shootout. I'm talking about a two-point clean sheet win for the Calgary Flames in Seattle. That's where I'm going. I like the Flames on the road. And the same thing on Thursday when the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars face up. Wild, you want to be serious? You're, you're moving on up? You better beat the Dallas Stars. I am taking the Stars, though, to beat the Wild. The Wild aren't moving on up. I have a three-team parlay on Thursday. Both Florida teams win. Panthers over the Habs. Lightning over the Rangers. And the capital battle goes to Washington. Three-team parlay. Put it in the bank. Ladies and gentlemen, log on to SIA.com forward slash cool button pod and sign up and deposit today. Sports Interaction is Canada's Sportsbook 19 plus. Please gamble responsibly. As we speak today, Craig, we're basically at the 45% mark in the NHL. We're, we're, we went quickly from 20% to 33. Now we're almost at the 50-50 mark. So your biggest second half storyline, what you're keeping your eyes on is blank. Please fill in the blank. Well, I, I could go a lot of places, but I'm going to go right here. The 2022 Stanley Cup finalists, one ended up being the Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche, injury plate, injury plate. What's going to happen with the Colorado Avalanche? And their opponent, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who just continue to find ways to, you know, be successful. <laughs> like, you know, and, 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 you know, I looked at Tampa Bay and I said, eh, you know what, this could be the year where they fall down a notch. I don't think they've fallen down a notch. And I think Julian Breesbaugh and his group are going to find a way to push it up again a notch. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, they made that trade last year for Nick Paul. And then they signed Nick Paul to a long-term contract. Nick Paul might be one of the most valuable players in the National Hockey League on his contract. I mean, but, and they do it time and time again. They did it with Coleman and Goodrow. Now, now they do it with Nick Paul, right? They just continue to say, we have this wonderful group of players that have had lots of success, and we're going to keep giving them every chance to have success. So I, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning, at this point in time, have a much better chance to win the Stanley Cup than the Colorado Avalanche. Because I just think there's so much going on with the from McKinnon to Landeskog. You know, that's just a couple of the guys that, I mean, the they're just decimated right now. And, you know, so where do you find everybody coming back to play? Do you find, do you ever, do you ever find that chemistry? Do you ever find that symmetry that allows you to be a top, a top tier team? 
So that's where I'm at at this point in time in the season. And I, I love that. And I, and I, you're right. There's 582 blanks and, and answers, but yesterday on the show, we did Stanley cup contenders, narrowing it down to three. And my one, two were Tampa and Colorado. Cause I thought Colorado hanging in now where they are with yeah. all the injuries and these guys are coming back, right? 92 is coming back. 29 is coming back. Darren Helm hasn't played a game. Bull Byram will be back again. Josh Manson. Think about the everyday <laughs> skip. At one point they had nine of 18 guys. That's, that's, that's injury <laughs> playing. Like the Jets are right now. The Jets yeah. have seven regular players of the 18 out. That's a lot of Sazich on the long-term or the IR, Craig. So, and to me, when people said Boston, 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 listen, not just because I got Boston wrong and I'm not the only one. I got no problem saying that I got them wrong. I didn't think Taylor Hall would be on the third line. I didn't think David Krejci would be with Pasternak this good. And I didn't think that DeBrusque would, you know, love Boston so much under the new coach because the old one was so tough. The so, you know, I get it. This is the modern player. And, you know, Linus Allmark, I think there's going to be a market correction. But if you're asking me, Boston gets whatever, wildcard two, and then Tampa is through to round two. That'll probably be Tampa and Boston. Tampa doesn't care where they finish. I have to see Boston beat Tampa. I'd have to see Allmark beat Vasilevsky. I'd have to see, you know, Sergachev and Hedman and Chernak fail, which they haven't basically done. And remember when they lost last year, they did without Braden Point. Like Braden Point was played six games of relevance and healthiness. Six, because he got hurt in game seven. Didn't play in the second and third period. And who won the game for Tampa? Mississauga native Nick Paul. And when I sit there and I look at pro scouting, and we've done, you've taught me a little bit of scouting. We've gone and scouted before. I love it. I think it's a it's a it's 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 a great gig to get into hockey. I'm saying for free. Go go help. Go do scouting and send the minor midgets to some OHL team. Go ahead. They'll take it because they got thousands of people doing it for free, Craig. And then they got the people they really pay. But I look there and go. I've always liked Nick Paul myself, not just the World Championship. Nick Paul, Ottawa. And I had I have my own list. Like I got a guy right now. I, I like Derek Rand. So I, he's on a list. You know, my own fake list for my fake team that I'm managing. Derek Rand, I like the guy. You know, not like Jacob Chikrin or scouting Connor Bedard. You know, I I saw a guy the other day and he said the Connor Bedard's pretty good. Holy Moses, you're you're telling us about Connor Bedard now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? There's some people out there. This is their. Own. They didn't watch the World Juniors before because uh, it was in the summer or whatever. I get it. They don't. They don't all watch like we do. I always like this Brandon Hagel guy in Chicago. I said, I like this guy. He's on the ice three on three when Chicago wasn't trying to lose when they were actually trying to win. So you see certain guys, and then Julian Breeswell, and they go get him, and they sign him, and they contribute. Well, you think they're done? You think this is a team right now that Tampa's going to put towards the playoffs? So to me, I'm, I started with those two teams, and you look at like Vegas would have an easier route, perhaps. Maybe the Pacific is the weakest division in hockey. Uh, and you look at you know some other teams in the mix. Do we really believe in Carolina? Maybe they're winning with a Freddie Anderson and Max Pacioretty. So I find all of that intriguing, but I think your two teams are the most intriguing because what will Tampa be like when it really matters? Like you talk about slowing it down. I think Tampa goes in the fast lane, then they go in the grandma lane, then they go in the middle lane, then they get in the fast lane and Colorado when everyone comes back. Remember the year Gretzky took the Kings to the final? He only played 49 games because he was fresh. So maybe there'll be some freshness as it relates to Colorado. I don't, and I'm not just going recency bias. I just look at some of the teams that I think, are they playoff ready? Well, Tampa and Colorado have already proved to us that they are. 
So that's why I find them intriguing. And I'll also mention as a little sidebar, since we're in Florida, what the Panthers do in the next 50% of the season. Like, are they missing the playoffs? Is Paul Maurice, does he get the keys to the Cadillac and they're not going to make it? Craig, wow. I'm, I'm intrigued about what's They're a NHL 500 team, basically. That doesn't cut it. Well, you're coming off the President's Trophy if you're the Florida Panthers. You know, you, you obviously brought in Paul Maurice. You made a big trade to get Matthew Kachuk. And your team isn't better. <laughs> like, I mean, the bottom, I mean, they scored three goals in the second round of the playoffs last year versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. So that wasn't very good. So I can understand Bill Zito's, you know, uh, you know, efforts to to look at a team. I mean, he acted on them. I, we can agree or disagree whether he should have. The record shows right now that uh, the Florida Panthers are nowhere near the level of play that they were at last year. So no, no, nobody can say that the moves he's made are successful. Matthew Kachuk's played well, and you know, but the bottom line is that they haven't made the team better. I, I want to go back to your pro scouting thing, and it's always amazing to me. You know, we're going to start to see these boards, top 25 players on trade bait boards, and you know, who's the top player and everything. And Chikrin's name is going to show up on it, right? Teams that have success in the playoffs – are the ones that identify what they need to have success in the playoffs. <laughs> so let's go back to last year. Colorado Avalanche, uh, we need a different type. Josh Manson comes in. Oh, <laughs> right? Then they go and get Andrew Cogliano, round out a fourth line. Then they go and get Arturi Lekunin, who can play all the way through your lineup. I wouldn't say that any of those three players are sexy names on a trade bait board, but they all became significant. Nick Paul, all sexy name on the on the trade bait board. Julian Brisbois goes, I need Nick Paul. I need Brandon Hagel. Then we go to the uh, New York Rangers. We need Andrew Cobb. <laughs> like, no sexy. Everybody wants to talk about the same. Oh, yeah, what about this guy? You know what? You better figure out as a manager what your team needs. Not about what looks good or what might get you some accolades in the media. What helps your team be better? Because you know what? The players in that room, if you're a good team, know what they need. People don't want to believe that. They're looking around. Yeah, and Then they see the player come in. They go, yeah, oh, I got Josh Manson. Is this amazing, right? Do they know all the players really well? The Colorado Avalanche knew Josh Manson because they played against him. They might not have known Archery Lequinen all that well, but all they got to do is just talk to a few people. and Oh, yeah, this you're going to love this guy. He comes in. They love him, right? Andrew Kopp, you don't think you don't love him immediately? Bottom line is how many teams just – I mean – Listen, at, at, at the end of the day, I've seen more teams mess up their teams at the trade deadline while trying to improve them than the ones that really improve their team. <laughs> Look at what the Boston Bruins did last year. Happens Lindholm. And then they sign them long term. Like, what a move. What a move. <laughs> so, and what a, what a performance, right? Oh. Seabring. All about he knowing what your team needs. And, and it's not just about that. Like, you know, like, Nick Paul signs long-term. Josh Manson signs long-term. Ampas Lindholm signs. Yeah, Andrew Kopp left. He went back to Detroit. That's where he's from. Steve Eisenman did a great job. Anyway, bottom line is, you better know what your team needs. A lot of times, teams go and acquire players that their team didn't need. There are some sexy names on the UFA sheet for 2023 and guys that then subsequently are available that are not the you know, Andrew Cops and Andrew Coglianos and Arturi Lekin. I think we had Mark Mosier on 
And I just said, I'm just telling you what I've seen and what, I mean, they raved about him in Montreal. I get why they made the move and now they love him. Now they love him. And I guess sometimes you really don't know a player in the other conference. If you're calling your own team's games all the time, because you're not watching all the other games because you're at the rink or traveling every other day. But now people are saying names like Bo Horvat and Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, who's not had a good year. His frustration last night on his face was like, maybe get me out of here finally. Jonathan Taves, um, just to name a few. John Klingberg, who was just being rented by the Ducks anyway. So if it was you and you're a manager, Craig, like where would you start with Bo Horvat's career year? Can you play him at different spots? Does Ryan O'Reilly help? Like, are we going to have a very sexy trade deadline this time because of some of the big names atop your trade bait board? It still goes back to what does your team need? Like, what am I going to do? Say, you don't want Ryan O'Reilly? Well, if if you need a Ryan O'Reilly type player, then you better talk to Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues if you're interested. At, at the end of it all, you got you got free agents, unrestricted free agents, right? And so what does Bo Horvat offer? What does Jonathan Taze offer? I don't give, honestly, I don't care if Patrick Kane had zero goals and zero assists right now. I am, I'm, I'm a contender. I am talking to Kyle Davidson daily to find out what it takes for me to get Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane is a top-notch player. He's a winner, and he will make my team better. Does every team need Patrick Kane? No, every team doesn't need Patrick Kane. But if you're a team and you identify, so a team like the Colorado Avalanche, they lost a pretty good second-line center in Nazem Kadri last year. You don't think Jonathan Taze wouldn't look good playing behind Nathan McKinnon? I think he would look just fine. I don't. Bo Horvat going somewhere? Bo Horvat's a good player. Do I think Bo Horvat's a 35-40 goal scorer in the National League? No. But do I think that he's having a fantastic year and am I going to try to take advantage of all the other things he adds to my team? Yes. So, you know, these are all players that have interest and they fit in. You need a goal scorer? Go back. Dean Lombardi, who I love, I worked with in Minnesota. I think think he's a Hall of Fame. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. In 2012, he recognized we got a problem here. We need more scoring. So he trades for Jeff Carter. Got exactly what he needed. Oh, in 2014, he recognizes we need scoring. He trades for Marion Gabrick. Exactly. In 2016, he didn't recognize what he needed. He traded for Ben Bishop. He didn't need Ben Bishop. <laughs> so, you know, even, even a fantastic manager like Dean Lombardi, you know, you, you sometimes you, you misidentify what you need. Now, Dean might say, oh, well, we had an injury. We weren't sure we wanted to protect it and everything. That's fine. I, I understand that, too. All I know is, is this. All those players you just mentioned aren't going to fit on every contending team. So figure out who, who, what you need and then go, okay, who fits the description of what we need? If you do not identify your needs properly, where you want to strengthen your team, you're, you're, just, you're just twisting in the wind. You're just chasing. You got to do that first. And then you can look at the other players, start talking. What's it going to cost for this? You know, and, you know, I hear this all the time, Steve. Oh, but the price is high. Oh, really? So let me ask you this. And I, I say this about Edmonton. Oh, the price for Jacob Chicken so high. I said, oh, really? Higher than the price of letting McDavid and Dreisaitl maybe not make the playoffs or get knocked out in the first round? Because you'll all be writing, you know, you, all you media, all the media people right now that the price is too high, you're the ones that are going to be writing at the end, this isn't fair to the Edmonton Oilers. 
the narrative in Edmonton, in my view, should be we have two of the best players on the planet. We need to strengthen our team. And what does it look? Here's what it is for Jacob Chikrin. And like I was asked this when we did the prospects for the for the Edmonton Oilers. They asked me, can any of these players help the Edmonton Oilers, you know, uh this year? I said, Yeah, but not on the ice. It'll be in a trade. <laughs> so those prospects, yeah, they're good. You want to strengthen your team? You're gonna to have to give up some of them. You Jacob Chikrin. Everybody talks about Great Jacob Chikrin, right? You want Jacob Chikrin? Like always oh, this. Jacob Chikrin's a really good player. You watch how he's playing in Arizona. <laughs> the price might have gone up. You should have bought low. <laughs> Arizona at press time is six three and two at home. Ah, the Mullet Arena has come through uh, as they get ready for one of their native sons. Uh, I'm gonna end final thoughts with having some fun. McDavid does it again. Uh, he's gonna get fifty. He's never done that. I don't think he's gonna get sixty. And I want to be wrong. He was on pace for seventy going into the second half. That's that's a special number. Sixty is a lot. Compression of schedule and everything else. And I don't want to get into what the Oilers would be like if they miss the playoffs and if there's a McDavid clock ticking because, uh, you know, Bob Stoffer gets angry. These guys get angry because how long do you keep going with these two guys if they were to miss? So I don't think they're going to miss. So I'm with you on getting any. Like, what are they waiting for? I, I, and, and, the, and the Jack Campbell story because it's Stuart Skinner's crease. But I think McDavid gets into the high 50s. I'll say Heinz 57 and 144 points. 57, 87, 144, which is still spectacular. I just don't like to, you know, on pace, on pace. I, I I just think you don't, I got 20 goals at the one third mark. I'm getting 60. I don't think Cage Thompson's getting seven. Like I don't buy it. So for McDavid, even he will come down. Scoring is a little bit down than it was before. So I have McDavid at 57, 87, 144. That's my fun final thought. Craig. Craig's laughing. Oh, Steve, you're so funny. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's fascinating when you talk about like people saying like you know Stuart Skinner in the game versus Calgary on Tuesday evening was spectacular. McDavid scores the winning goal in a two-one game, right? If if the Edmonton owners think that that's how they're going to go and have success, they're 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 sadly mistaken. And you know. At, at the end of it all, they, they, they need to find ways to improve their team. And and what ends up happening, and I, I got two thoughts. And my last one is going to be on McDavid. So I'm going to go to this thought now. You know, you look at your team and you know what? You want to give your, your team every opportunity to be the best it can be. It doesn't mean doing something stupid or doing something rash. It means like I pointed out about Dean Lombardi in, in Los Angeles, looking at my team, what do we need? They won the cup. There's lots of teams that do the right things that don't win the cup, but they're still doing the right things. Do the right things. But that comes with a really good evaluation of your own team and what its needs are. That's number one. And my final thought is this. I'm not going to raise my voice, even though I have a real desire to raise my voice. It absolutely makes me sick when I hear people and there's been a number of them now in recent days, weeks, well, Connor McDavid, you don't want him. If you want to win in the playoffs, Connor McDavid, isn't really one of the best players in the world until he wins a Stanley cup until he does this. You know what? Here's what I will say. Hold your tongues because when you start speaking like that, 
what you're really saying is you really don't know. I've heard a lot of smart people over time, me included, I consider myself smart, say stupid things. Stop saying stupid things. You know what? Connor McDavid is the best player in the world, the most exciting player in the world. And I want him on my team. If I'm picking a team that I want to go try to win, Connor McDavid's my first pick. I heard the same thing about Eisman. I heard the same thing about Ovechkin. I've heard the same thing about so many different players. Oh, you know what? Oh, I don't want him on my team. He hasn't won. This isn't tennis. It isn't golf. It takes a team to win. And Connor McDavid will be on my team any single day, every single second of a team that I'm trying to find a way to win. And so stop with the stuff about Connor McDavid wouldn't be on your playoff team. Just stop. Stop. Make it your New Year's resolution. And maybe even start a few days before New Year's. Those people, they still think the world is flat. And Connor's anything but when his skates hit the ice. Already one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And if there was a league somewhere else and they needed a player, <laughs> Connor would be there with Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky. For Bruce Bolton, producer of the Pod 104, Craig Button doing yeoman's work in Eastern Canada from Moncton on this very day. I'm Steve Coolius. Hope you enjoyed 104. 105 is right around the corner. Happy New Year. Enjoy the World Juniors and the NHL, the greatest game on earth. See ya.